violence in East Pakistan, army troops today killed 50 people and injured more than 100 others in separate clashes. Several hundred persons have already been killed in East Pakistan over the past three weeks as the West Pakistani-dominated army tried to enforce martial law. Leaders of East Pakistan's nationalist movement say the army's methods are seriously hampering current talks to establish a new government for the province. President Richard Nixon supported Pakistan during the War for Independence. March 27, 1971, a day after Operation Searchlight, which was a planned military operation carried out by the Pakistan Army to curb the Bengali nationalist movement. Archer Blood, U.S. ambassador living at Dhaka at the time, writes a telegram to the Nixon administration. Subject, Selective Genocide. It reads, Here in Dhaka, we are mute and horrified witnesses to a reign of terror by the Pakistani military. Evidence continues to mount that the West Pakistan authorities have a list of Awami League supporters whom they are systematically eliminating by seeking them out in their homes and shooting them down. End quote. How and why did this war start? What role did the United States play? What does pandas have to do with this? Oh, oh, and we'll also talk about the Beatles. The Beatles. We will explore all this and more. I'm Shafi Hussein, and you're listening to Americanized, where I look at how the United States shape the rest of the world. That was an excerpt from the speech given by Sheikh Mujibur Rahman, the founding father of Bangladesh, on 7th March 1971 at the Ramna race course in Dhaka. Mujib is the founding father of Bangladesh and in that historic speech he was telling the people that we are ready for independence and we are prepared to fight for it. This is pretty much the I have a dream speech for Bengalis. In America people are judged by their skin color. Similarly, the Bengalis were denigrated because of being darker than their West Pakistani counterparts. Mujib, not only a great leader, he was a good-looking dude. He's a mix of George Clooney and Antonio Banderas. So how did we get here and why do I care? Quick summary, 1947, India gets divided into Muslim-majority Pakistan and Hindu-majority India. 
The whole of Pakistan had two wings, West Pakistan and East Pakistan, separated by India in the middle. Go see a map to fully grasp this. East Pakistan, now Bangladesh, had its own culture and language. Let me make it very clear to you. Leave no doubt that this language of Pakistan is going to be Urdu and no other language. And anyone who tries to mislead you is really the enemy of Pakistan. That's Muhammad Ali Zina, founder of Pakistan, commanding Bengalis that the state language is going to be Urdu and not Bangla. Can you imagine if the US took over Mexico and was like, from now on, our national food is going to be Taco Bell? They will revolt. And that's what happened in Bangladesh. 21st Feb 1952, the Bengali language movement took place, which was Bengalis wanting to speak Bangla and not Urdu as mandated by West Pakistan. Side note, I grew up honoring the Bengali language movement. 21st Feb is actually International Mother Language Day, declared by UNESCO in 1999. But Duolingo, the number one language learning app, does not have Bangla as an option. However, they do have Dothraki, which is a language spoken in Game of Thrones. 210 million people speak Bangla. Can you guess how many speak Dothraki? Zero. But the CEO of Duolingo is like, but dragons are way cooler than Bangla, right? 1952 is seen to be the inciting moment, the moment Bengalis decided that they needed to do something to take control. Fast forward to 1966, we have the six-point movement, Sheikh Mujib's demand for rights. Though East Pakistan, a 56% population, is still there not getting uh, any right. 56% of the population and still no right. In American lingo, if all six points were accepted by the West, it would be a Bengali touchdown. This is the start of Sheikh Mujib's leadership and a call for greater autonomy of East Pakistan. 1970, December 7th. This was the first general election in Pakistan where Sheikh Mujib wins a decisive majority. The Bengalis expected a transfer of power. You know how when you win an election and you expect to be running things like a working democracy? But if that happened, I wouldn't be telling you this story. Yahya Khan, the president of Pakistan at the time, didn't want to hand over the power to Bengalis. He had other plans. East Pakistan has been subjected to regional injustice beyond endurance. It has more people, 75 million, to West Pakistan's less than 60 million. In the only free elections ever held last December, Mujib's East Pakistani party won an easy majority, but it has no say in the government. East Pakistan pays more taxes than West Pakistan, yet it gets in return only 30% of the whole nation's budget expenditures. Moreover, it gets only 30% of the whole nation's foreign aid. West Pakistan taking the lion's share. 
plans that involved brutal killings of innocent Bengalis. I was around eight years old. I was at Burishan, but when the war started, the Pakistani army removed us from our house. My sister and I had to flee along with my uncle who fought in the war. During the war, I heard gunshots every day. We heard bombs being dropped. My cousin was burned alive. They shot at my sister. But 16th of December, I remember the victory day. I remember saying, Joy Bangla, Joy Bangla. That's my dad. He was fleeing the Pakistani army, separated from his family, couldn't go to school, stayed in bunkers, never complained about it. He forgot to pick me up after school once. I still whine about it. My dad, he is part of the greatest generation of Bangladesh. He saw his family stand in line to receive aid and rice. What is my struggle standing in line at a DMV? This story is personal because I was born and raised in Bangladesh. But I live in America now and I love America. I'm fascinated by the United States because it is so much more than a country. It is an idea that propagates across the globe. But I would never have guessed the United States was involved in the 71 conflict. But when it comes to military intervention, the United States is like hidden sugar. You somehow find it in places you least expect it. Most of the world didn't really have much idea of how the U.S. was involved in the 71 conflict. But in 2002, the National Security Archive declassified U.S. government documents and audio clips revealing shocking details during the crisis of 1971. Between 71 and 73, Nixon secretly recorded over 3,000 hours of his own phone calls, which are now public. He was taping himself. He was doing NSA's job for them. April 6th, 1971, Archer Blood sends another telegram to the Nixon administration. It reads, our government has failed to denounce the suppression of democracy. Our government has failed to denounce atrocities. Our government has failed to take forceful measures to protect its citizens, while at the same time bending over backwards to placate the West Pakistani dominated government and to lessen any negative international public relations impact against them. Our government has evidenced what many will consider moral bankruptcy. But we have chosen not to intervene even morally on the grounds in which, unfortunately, the overworked term genocide is applicable. Private Americans have expressed disgust we as professional civil servants express our dissent with current policy and fervently hope 
that our true and lasting interests here can be defined and our policies redirected in order to salvage our nation's position as a moral leader of the free world, end quote. This was signed by 20 members of the diplomatic staff and one of the most strongly worded expression of dissent in the history of US Foreign Service. By the way, this was sent via dissent cable. Dissent cable was created to encourage US ambassadors to express constructive criticism of government policy. Pretty much diss tracks, but for politicians. And this one is aptly known as the Blood Telegram. Archer Blood kept writing letters to the administration without any response. Like Noah in Notebook. I wrote you 365 letters. I wrote you every day for a year. Except, instead of making out with Nixon, Blood was fired from his position. Why didn't Nixon and Kissinger do anything about this atrocious genocide? Weren't the US supposed to be advocates of democracy? You have Sheikh Mujib winning an election fair and square, and even then, the US turns a blind eye. When you think of Nixon, Bangladesh is not the first thing that comes to mind. The things that come to mind are usually Watergate, impeachment, and how he ran a failed orange juice business in 1938, also known as the Juice Gate. Oh yeah, Richard Nixon was in the business of manufacturing frozen orange juice. It took him two years to realize that it was an abject failure and he pulled out. If only he could have done the same with Vietnam. But if you did top five Nixon scandals, Bangladesh does not make that list. However, Nixon does get a lot of praise for his 1972 visit to China. On February 17, 1972, after two years of secret and delicate negotiations, the President and First Lady were on their way to China. The Chinese people are a great people. The American people are a great people. We have at times in the past been enemies. We have great differences today. What brings us together is that we have common interests which transcend those differences. Not only did this move improve relations between the two countries, Mao Zedong gifted two pandas, Ling Ling and Sing Sing. This panda couple was the Brangelina of their time. Their couple name, I'm guessing Sling Sling. They had five beautiful half-white, half-black cubs. I think that's all pandas. These pandas were mating without human intervention. Like, who knew diplomacy between world powers is the thing that turns pandas on? But China is crucial to the story. Nixon and Kissinger wanted better relations with China. And China were allies with Pakistan. Let's get back to 71. Kissinger writes a memo to Nixon on April 28th about the situation unfolding 
in East Pakistan. By the way, let's talk about Kissinger for a second. 1973 Nobel Peace Prize winner for negotiating ceasefire in Vietnam. Farming within South Vietnam has been reduced by 90%, Mr. President. And yes, well, rather than getting into too many figures, you say that the that we've, we've reduced our bombing by 30% or something like that. Uh, you know what I mean, just get it, whatever the figure is for Southeast Asia, so I don't have to get into separating South Vietnam from uh, Laos. The significance of the 90% is that in the populated areas, our bombing has decreased by 90%. The area with now bombing is the unpopulated mm-hmm. area. But I, I know that, but I don't have time to explain that. No, just I'll, I'll get you that. All we need is just get some figure that makes the point we've, that is, we've, 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 uh, uh, we, well, we, we can at least try to try to get that across. But, uh, so two sentences is what I would recommend. In that you know how when you're a kid and your mother just wants a moment of peace and you decide to reduce your shenanigans by 90% and then your mom hands you a Kit Kat? Even though your sister was just sitting there quietly minding her own business Never even considered bombing anyone. Never gets a Kit Kat. In my household, it was known as a Kit Kat diplomacy. Kit Kat was my Nobel Peace Prize, even though I know I never deserved it. Anyways, some critics revere Kissinger as a practitioner of real politic, and some condemn him as a war criminal. Real politic is politics based on diplomacy rather than moral grounds. In simple terms, real politic is doing politics with the notion of what do I want out of this instead of what really is a genocide. You know, a pragmatist. So April 28, 1971, Kissinger writes to Nixon describing the military crackdown in Pakistan and asks his guidance to which Nixon writes... Don't squeeze Yaya at this time. This is the point when Nixon confirms his support for the genocidal regime of Yaya Khan in West Pakistan. But I get it. The US was in the middle of a cold war with Russia. Vietnam was a huge failure at the time with most Americans against the war. 1971 saw the voting age in the United States lowered to 18. The 26th Amendment gets ratified to the U.S. Constitution. This was the start of counterculture, anti-establishment era in the U.S. The U.S. needed an ally. They needed a win. And West Pakistan was that ally. And China was the win. China would just be another piece to fight off Soviet aggression. Nixon was desperate to have China on his side. So much so the US sent American ping pong players to China in April of 1971, which is now known as the ping pong diplomacy. This is true. If you ask anyone, hey, what sport is US good at? No one's ever like, is it ping pong? But in April of 1971, your college room after class hobby was a tool for diplomacy. Around May of that year, the U.S. 
knew that there might be war between India and Pakistan. Few reasons for this. Because of the military crackdown in East Pakistan, there was a huge influx of refugee. Estimates say around 10 million Bengalis sought refuge in India, which was putting a huge strain for the Indian economy. Compare that to current events. The United States, one of the world's largest economy, plans to admit a maximum of 18,000 refugees in 2020. So yes, India was suffering already. Coming out of a war with Pakistan in 1965, the two weren't the best of friends. As the war was in full force, there were three events in America that helped shed more light about this crisis. First, Edward Kennedy, Massachusetts senator for 47 years. Yes, he is the Kennedy brother that did not get shot in the 60s. Big fan. He had visited the refugee camps. He was one of the first U.S. senators to denounce Nixon's silence on the systematic oppression taking place in East Pakistan. The Washington Post reported Kennedy charged today that Pakistan had committed genocide in East Pakistan and called for a complete cutoff of American military and economic aid to Pakistan until the strife in the eastern part of the country ends. This placed an arms embargo. Officially, Congress cut off military aid due to human rights violation in East Pakistan. Unofficially, the U.S. continued to supply military supplies to West Pakistan illegally. Second was the canoe blockade. I was, I was ready to risk my life there. I just I wanted to get in front of that ship. 78-year-old Richard Taylor is talking about the day in July 1971 when he and a group of protesters used canoes and kayaks to try and block the freighter Padma from reaching the port of Baltimore. The ship was coming from Canada, bound for Pakistan. It was said to be carrying military equipment and ammunition, presumably to aid the government in its war with what was then called East Pakistan. The U.S. had ordered an arms embargo on new shipments to Pakistan, but newspapers reported that Pakistani freighters still visited U.S. ports to load military equipment. These Americans were using canoes and kayaks to block a ship. They not only protested the U.S. government, they also helped me finally look up the difference between a canoe and a kayak. Kayaks are lighter. Kayak is basically a canoe, but on a keto diet. Much slimmer. Third, the Beatles. That was George Harrison from the Beatles. Ravi Shankar and him put together the concert for Bangladesh, which took place in Madison Square Garden on August 1st, 1971. It was attended by 40,000 people and raised over $250,000. This was huge for Bangladesh. The amount of attention this crisis received was unprecedented. It's like if the One Direction did a concert for Syria today. 
I don't understand when people criticize Hollywood actors when they become activists. Well, this is what activism can achieve when done right. Bob Dylan did a rendition of the poem September on Joshua Road by the famous American poet Allen Ginsberg. Millions of babies watching the skies Bellies swollen with big round eyes On Jessor Road Long bamboo huts No place to shit but sand channel ruts Joshua Road was used by refugees to escape to India. Well, how is Nixon reacting to all of this unfolding in the States? Nixon and Kissinger always had somewhat of an anti-Indian bias as evident by their phone conversations. Because the US was focusing to improve relations with China, this made India worried. If you're India, you're thinking China is not our friend, West Pakistan is not our friend, the US is backing both of these countries. What is our move? Well, the Soviets. August 9th, India and Soviets sign Treaty of Peace. Let's go to December 3rd, 1971. This is when the Pakistani Air Force carries out a strike on Indian Air Force and pretty much everything escalates. The two countries are at war now. The US begs China to relocate some soldiers on Indian border, but the Chinese were not interested as every player involved in this crisis kind of realizes that an independent Bangladesh at this point is inevitable. But Nixon tried one last thing. When he ordered Task Force 74 to the Bay of Bengal, this in turn made the Soviets send their own naval task force, exacerbating the situation. Pulitzer Prize winner Jack Anderson in his book, The Anderson Papers, writes, Richard Nixon brought the United States to the edge of another world war. His actions were deliberate, he operated in secret, and he lied to the American people about his actions. But this war had a happy ending. I mean, for me, for the Bengalis, After nine months of fighting, almost three million lives lost. On December 16th, 93,000 West Pakistani troops surrendered. And we have the birth of Bangladesh. That is the National Anthem of Bangladesh, written by Nobel Prize in Literature winner Robin Dronat Tagore. To most Americans, when they hear Bangladesh, they go, 
What part of India is that in? Which would be a great response before 1947. Or most Americans have clones made in Bangladesh. But the part of Bangladesh, it's bigger than pandas. It shows us how art can create change and shape history. And more importantly, it's a symbol of what American activism can be and should be. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to Americanized. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating. If you have suggestions, please email at americanizedpod at gmail.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-C-A-N-I-Z-E-D-P-O-D at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.